0: From Yahoo Finance, this is Electionomics. I'm Rick Newman.
1: And I'm Alexis Christophorus. Welcome to our new normal here at Yahoo Finance. As you can see, this podcast doesn't look the way it usually does. Rick Newman and I are in separate places. We are using Google Hangouts to bring you this video podcast in this world of coronavirus. And today we're going to start talking about how this COVID-19 is affecting the 2020 Presidential election. So, Rick, what are you doing there in your
0: room? I'm surviving, uh, and I don't have to worry about infecting any or anybody or being infected by anybody.
1: Yeah, same I'm here. All right, not well, getting
0: the evil eye.
1: Yeah, no, you don't. And it is so true. You know, you don't want to cough or sneeze near anybody or anything because you, you will get the evil eye.
0: I'm going to cry not to cough, uh, no. just so you know, because I think people might just have that instant reaction. But anyway, let's stop talking about the virus. I guess yeah. we well, we're going
1: to talk about it, but in a different way, because I want to talk about how this coronavirus has really come to define Donald Trump's presidency um, at a time when he is looking at whether or not he's going to remain president in just a few months. It's hard to sort of think past where we are now and look out to November. But so far, given um, his response, his administration's response to this pandemic, do you think odds are for a Trump re-election or against
0: suddenly they, they seem to be changing on a daily basis and you know i just have to say we thought we were getting whiplash with the abrupt change in the democratic uh, presidential race we've been talking about that for the last or two last couple of podcasts with joe biden you know coming rising from the dead and suddenly become looking like a shoe in and then all of a sudden really within again less than 2 weeks uh, it's almost as if the whole economy is falling off a cliff. The whole country is changing the way it goes, around. it goes it does its business. Everybody's staying home, or they are in many places. So here's one of the things that caught my attention first thing this week. Uh, I get a lot of political newsletters and things like that. So I opened one from uh, Sandhill Strategy. That's a, a research firm in Washington, D.C. They do uh, political analysis and things like that. Here's the headline. Joe Biden, likely the next president. So uh, what these analysts at uh, Sand Hill Strategies are, are saying, they're kind of keeping it simple uh, and not basing this uh, forecast, if you will, on anything that President Trump is actually doing in terms of how he's responding to the coronavirus uh, crisis, but on a, on a simple fact that um, we're almost certainly going to be in a recession later this year. So leading into the election, we will be in a recession uh, it looks as if it's going to be a deep recession. Now, it might be a short recession, but it's going to be painful for some period of time. And there just has been no president since, uh, since the Great Depression who has gotten elected either during a recession or in the aftermath of a recession. I mean, every time there is a recession in the United States and there is an incumbent president running for re-election, he loses. And uh, to, make, to point out just how stark, I mean, this is a you know, 100% correlation. And just to point out how stark this is, um, to go back to when I had first started in journalism uh, was in 19, you know around 1991, and I remember being a young journalist watching the Gulf War unfold uh, in 19 early 1991. You know the shock and awe campaign, the air war, and the smart bombs. That was uh, that was a decisive U.S. military victory. Um, President uh, George H.W. Uh, Bush's approval rating went as high as 85 or 86 percent back then, and he lost he lost. I mean, back then they thought no president who presides over a winning war, especially in such a decisive fashion, could ever lose a reelection. And he lost because there was a recession that came and it actually was over by the time of the election in 92. But the aftermath of the recession still had people feeling anxious. And that was a fairly mild recession and George H.W. Bush lost. So if you're just looking at the correlation between recessions and presidential reelection odds, Trump is in deep trouble. But you have to admit This is
1: a very, very unique situation. I don't know if if we can look back in history and find uh, a situation similar to this in an election year. Could it possibly be that the electorate says, you know what, this is not the time to shake things up in Washington. We need stability there with the administration. Let's keep the same president in. Could that kind of thinking
0: work in favor of of Trump? I think so many things could happen. Um, So it, it might be not just what you described, But it's possible that Trump could find that uh, voters are sort of rallying around him, uh, which is what normally, which is what might happen if this were a terrorist attack, let's say. So, uh, you know, the nation rallied around George W. Bush in 2001 after the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Uh, Is it possible something like that could happen? I guess it is. Um, you're, you're now hearing Trump just, you know, his, his rhetoric, uh, he calls this a war, he called, you know, we're fighting an enemy in the virus. Uh, he, he, he characterizes it as a foreign virus, as if, you know, we have been attacked by some foreign interest. Um, it, it could that sway voters? I, I guess it could. And I will, you know, I freely acknowledge, man, anything could happen here. Um, but you know, Trump is so divisive to start with, uh, And he's just not somebody who unifies the country. He's just not. And even amid uh, this crisis, he's taking pot shots at governors he he doesn't like. So he doesn't like the the Democratic governors of Michigan or of uh, New York. So while he's on the phone trying to manage this crisis, he gets off and he tweets or he has something nasty to say about Democratic governors. So I don't think Trump is the kind of president who actually can unify people. And, uh, you know, we're going to see a giant drop in, um, democratic turnout in the remaining primaries, but I don't think, uh, Democrats are suddenly going to say, you know, seven months from now, oh, we've had this virus in this national crisis. Maybe I, maybe I don't need to go vote. Maybe, uh, maybe Trump's actually doing okay. I just think that's not going to happen. I, you know, unless the health situation is actually dramatically worse by, uh, by November, i think democrats are still going to turn out in record numbers uh and you're i think you're probably going to see some independents, you know turning out in high numbers as well uh and i just don't think that's good for trump i could be totally wrong about all this i mean it's almost hard to predict anything these days but i think i do think trump is going to lose
1: and now i want to talk about biden and sanders and these primaries because we saw the primary in ohio being pushed to. So i think it's june right yeah. Um, the governor did there. So what's going to happen to the other primaries and, and what's going to happen to
0: Sanders? I mean, some are wondering why is he still in this race? <laughs> well, I uh, the first f- effect here to my mind is that it's a reprieve for Bernie Sanders. It gives him an excuse to stay <laughs> in the race a little bit. I know you're laughing. I think I, I, even some Sanders supporters are starting to say, Bernie, it's time to go, man. Um, and, you know, you really just look like you're trying to keep hogging your little bit of the limelight as it keeps moving away from you. You, it's like, you still keep sticking your, your head in the picture, you know, trying to get in there. Uh, but, um, you know, Bernie Sanders, uh, we, we heard him in the last debate, you know, he's kind of like, you know, he's still something of a force within the democratic party. It seems like what's going on is there's sort of this tacit negotiation between Joe Biden, who, unless there's something uh, something surprising happens, he's going to be the presidential nominee for the Democrats in 2020. Uh, I mean, that could be a health issue. I mean, he is 77 years old. We've talked about that before. I don't think it's crass to just point out what's obviously on people's minds. So I guess Bernie Sanders, maybe he can argue that he, he should stay in for that reason. Um, but what does seem to be going on is um, sort of uh, they're sort of uh, negotiating Bernie Sanders' terms of surrender. Um, So what is it going to take for Bernie Sanders to fully support Joe Biden if he's the nominee and not just for Bernie Sanders himself to support Biden, but more important than that, for Bernie Sanders to tell all of his supporters, go vote for Joe Biden in the general election. Don't sit home. Don't vote for Trump. Go vote for Joe Biden to really convince them. And uh, I think that's why you're actually seeing Joe Biden. He has been giving a little bit of ground on some issues going a little bit closer to the Bernie Sanders line. He's not doing that on the big one, which is Medicare for all, but he did do it on education. And he has had some nice things to say about Elizabeth Warren's education plan, which is more generous about um, free college for fill in the blank X portion of students. Um, Bernie Sanders wants to make it hundred percent. Elizabeth Warren's is more like 70 or 80 percent. Joe Biden's, Joe Biden wants free Uh, two-year community college for people who are interested in that, which would be much lower. The way the public feels about what the Trump administration
1: has done thus far. I mean, there have been a few polls out that show that people's confidence doesn't necessarily lie with The president, or even at the federal level, Uh, it seems as though a lot of Americans are either trusting uh, health organizations like the CDC over the president, or even trusting their local or state governments more than they do government at the federal level. That's that's not a good sign for for Trump as we move closer to the general election.
0: I think that's true, and I I think it's 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 uh, goes without saying that most uh, um, citizens. Are still trying to figure out what to think about uh, coronavirus. I- I'm still trying to figure out what to think about it. How big of a deal was it that we ha- got a late start on testing here in the United States? Um, the health experts say that was a really big deal because this 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 kind of spirals out of control exponentially. And if you don't get it early, then you really lose control of it. Um, how many people are going to die because of it? I mean, that's an obvious question. Does President Trump bear some responsibility? Was it his fault somehow that we got a late start on testing? And, of course, it it matters a lot what happens next. Um, I think one of the things I think, uh, you know, for those of us who've been, tell me if you disagree, Alexis, but for those of us who've been watching this unfold, uh, Trump has, in a very short period of time, gone from being almost totally dismissive of this threat uh, you know, he said it'll 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 disappear. It'll be like magic. It's going to go away when it were. I mean, you know, there's a litany of things he said. Basically, don't worry about it. It's not a problem. And uh, he is now saying it's a big, big deal. He himself is the one who actually uh, came up with a more aggressive guideline than the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control. They said no gatherings of 50 or more. He said, let's make that no gatherings of 10 or more. That's a guideline, not a law. We don't have martial law yet. So, um, Trump has got a lot more serious about this. Um, reporters have been asking him in press conferences, what changed? I mean, what is it that really changed your mind here? He has not given a straight, straightforward answer. In fact, he keeps saying, I've taken this very seriously all along. And the record is very clear that he did not take it seriously until only about the last week. Uh, One thing that is one thing that could have changed is Trump, uh, had a, you know, come to Jesus moment. And he said, Holy crap. Um, this really could threaten my reelection. We could have a recession right on the edge of uh, the election. I might have to explain uh, 50,000 or 100,000 needless needless deaths to voters when uh, they're about to go and decide whether to vote for me or not. So maybe that's why he got serious. So uh, a lot is going to happen in the next seven months, um, and I think a lot of it has to do with expectations that are being set right now. So Trump has created the expectation. He has been saying, you know, uh, we'll. It will kind of be the worst. Will be over by summertime. Um, he the health
1: experts. I don't know. August timestamp on it. Yeah. Somebody said, "How long might this go?" And we saw the market reaction was very dramatic, very intense to the downside when he said that. And then when we got news that the Senate was close to passing uh, stimulus, we saw the market rally.
0: Yeah, and you know you're you're covering the markets more closely than I am. I mean, you should comment on this because. This has been insane. Uh, I mean, we have. I mean, we've got more volatility in markets than we did in two thousand eight. And th- to my mind, uh, the health threat right now is it doesn't compare to anything we had in two thousand eight. But the threat to the economy is nowhere near as severe now, as it was then, because the whole banking system was collapsing. you have a
1: systemic problem, right, with the
0: banking system. And it was a financial
1: crisis. It was not a health crisis. So Wall Street's being reactionary to a health crisis. Thank goodness. I mean, all the analysts I've talked to say the banks have never been stronger and more capitalized than they are today. And they do believe that they're not going to need a bailout from the government and that they're going to be able to survive this and to help others survive it, namely people who have mortgages right now. They might be able to have a moratorium on, you know, when is that next mortgage payment due? That the banks are, this time around, are actually in a position to help those who are going through through uh, hard times, as opposed to being the thing that made us go through a hard time back in 2008.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, what happens with markets is going to have a lot to say with how the public views President Trump when we're I mean, what really matters is what people are thinking about President Trump. You know, by about mid-October of last year, I mean there are there are. I mean, the significant voters, uh, the swing voters, a lot of them don't make up their minds until the end. Uh, now, I will, I will go back to one thing I noticed. Um, there was a poll by Axios, and they asked. Uh, they, it was a it was a big poll. They did more than eight thousand people, and they asked, um, "Who do you trust?" Uh, and what is your different trust level of? you know, the Center for Disease Control, these institutions that were, uh, you know, with the spokespeople handling it, and then President Trump himself. And there was one number on that poll that really stuck out stuck out to me, and that was um, President Trump's, uh, people who said, I trust President Trump, Republicans, it was in the 80%, uh, 82%, I think, very high. That's not surprising. Yeah. Uh, Democrats, long almost,
1: long the lines. Yeah. Yeah,
0: almost no Democrats said they trust President Trump. But when they asked people the yeah. 9%. 9% right. One single digits. But when they, yeah. uh, when they asked independence, only 28% said they trust president Trump on this. And to me, that is a, if you're Trump's re-election campaign, that is a red flag because uh, independence essentially helped him win in 2016. I mean, it's those people in the middle, they could be conservative Democrats or liberal Republicans or just registered independents. But those are the people who rejected Hillary Clinton. A lot of those people uh, did vote for Trump, but it was an anti-Hillary Clinton vote. And we know how close it was in 2016. So if Trump is uh, losing, if he loses independence by a ratio of basically three to one, I think he loses, period. Um, so he has got to do something to uh, now, we talk, talk to you better.
1: about what, The do something part, right? I mean, now it looks as though Washington is getting their acts together. I mean, as we sit here, the Senate has still not passed this fiscal uh, uh, stimulus plan, which I'm actually amazed by. I mean, I mean, the house had passed it on Friday. Here we are Tuesday and nothing's been passed yet. And meanwhile, right. the thing is getting, you know, the, the economy is is falling deeper in holes Now we have restaurants, bars in, in a large swath of this country shut down. The service industry nearly shut down Marriott coming out today and saying they're going to have to furlough thousands of workers and they temporarily shut down their hotels. I mean, What needs to happen between now and, say, really the next couple of weeks for maybe Trump to salvage this thing and people to say, "All right, he stepped up once he understood the severity. It took a while. He stood up to the plate, and now he's doing the right aggressive thing."
0: Well, the template for this, Alexis, again, it it really is two thousand eight and two thousand nine. You covered that. I covered that. So. Uh at least you know we're we're on a roller coaster feeling queasy but at least we've been on we've kind of been down this hill before right true, so uh true. I, I mean the, 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 yeah the great recession uh, playbook is is really playing out again so we've got the federal reserve doing all the emergency measures that's basically the same as it did in 08 and 09 and now we're at the so that's monetary stimulus and i'm i'm about 95% sure that congress is going to do all the fiscal stimulus that they did do in 2009, and I think it's going to be quite similar. So that means um, this bill that they're likely to pass soon, uh, that's a that's a small bill uh, that has some immediate relief for people who are told to go home and just don't come to work. So if you do not have paid leave and if you do not have paid sick leave or emergency leave, the government's going to cover that for some workers. That, that is kind of small potatoes at this point. I mean, it's necessary, but it's obvious that um, we need um, cannons. Firing money into the economy at this point, and so that's what Congress is going to be debating over the next. Uh, I think it could easily take a month before something like that passes. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin is saying we need this now, as in not tomorrow, as in now. Uh, even the White House is now talking about just sending out checks to people to put some money in their pocket. Um, you know, the government, U.S. government, has done that before. That happened in 2008. That was part of the playbook back then. Just give people money. Um, So they so they can spend, you know, especially lower income people who may not be able to make the next rent payment or, uh, you know, are short on the food budget or whatever it might be. Um, There's going to be, you know, this this kind of thing ends ends up to be a giant grab bag for every favorite pork product up on Capitol Hill. So that's where all the negotiations are going to be. The risk for Trump in this. So Congress is going to pass something. It's going to be big. It's not, um, it's not going to be as fast as people want it to be. That's just the way Congress operates. But I think the risks and opportunities, a couple of them here for Trump, number one, he has to be very careful not to overpromise what the government can do. Uh, actually, Obama overpromised on uh, how quickly the stimulus package passed in 2009, it, literally in the first month of Obama's presidency, he overpromised on how quickly that would get people back to work. And, you know, come a year or two later, um, turns out unemployment, excuse me, uh, jobs are not coming roaring back the way Obama kind of promised. And he actually put a number on it back then. And uh, what actually happened was way worse than what his number projected. So he he made the mistake of creating an expectation and actually pegging himself to a number that mm-hmm. then people could say, well, it, your program failed because it didn't do what you said it would do. Now, we're already hearing Trump make these kinds of promises. Uh, you know, he's, 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 in some ways being careful not to put a number on it. So he's saying, I think we'll rebound really fast and it's going to be the greatest rebound ever. Um, well, he's not saying we, we're going to rebound by June or July. And um, I actually have my doubts about whether the rebound is going to be uh, a sharp V-shaped rebound. Because Bounce we back or, or, we or not. No, I anymore. agree.
1: Exactly because if a lot of people are trying to recover from having lost a job that they just can't go step back into. I mean, maybe this means for a number of Americans, they lost their job during this pandemic, and they didn't get it back for a while. And I don't care how much money the government's going to put in their pockets, they're going to want to help hold on to that money, take care of the priority bills like housing and food, right? Shelter and food is going to come first. They're not going to be out there stimulating the economy in the way that we would be hoping they would. And, and also just In terms of 2008 versus now and these bailouts, I mean, I guess you can liken it to the TARP that we saw happening in 2008. Perhaps it won't be all that similar, Rick, in the sense that didn't we learn something from back then? we bailed out the auto industry, we bailed out the banks. And what did the banks and the auto industry do for us? Right? Well, well, so now you've got the airlines looking for a bailout. And I think this time, or at least I hope this time, there are going to be some real conditions uh, tacked onto that.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, we covered these stories for months, didn't we? In 2009 and 2010, uh, you know, the money that went to uh, Goldman Sachs that ended up going to all these counterparties that you Wait, why are we why are we buying out bailing out Deutsche Bank or something? that you know that's the German government's problem, and right. uh, they were you know so the I think the post mortem on the TARP bailouts and the auto bailouts and I mean boy was there just uh, alphabet soup of bailouts back then, but um, yes. they they needed to happen and uh, I think the Treasury Department and the Fed and everybody involved in those bailouts especially with regard to the financial system, their, their mentality was we need to do this as fast as humanly possible because we cannot have a seizure in the financial system. So as you pointed out earlier, we don't have a, we're not going to have a seizure in the financial system. Uh, the banks are not the problem this time around. thank God. So I think that means you can be a little more deliberate in terms of doing what you, what you just described, which is um, put conditions on the bailout money. So you know it's possible all the major airlines, at this point, could end up declaring bankruptcy if, if the government just says you're on your own. Uh, and that is probably not responsible. But it's also not respons- <coughs> responsible to say, here you go, American and United, here's a bunch of money. Uh, use it for whatever you want. If you want to buy back shares and benefit shareholders, that's fine with us. There's no way that will fly. So Trump already, already has a problem here because uh, he, uh, it, on general, a majority of uh, voters think that the tax cuts that he pushed through and he signed in 2017... Majority voters already think those tax cuts uh, heavily favored uh, businesses and the wealthy and not the middle class. Too much of the benefit went to people who didn't need it. So Trump has to be very careful about um, signing a bailout bill that once again looks as looks as if he's bailing out. And it's not just companies, but it's shareholders. Are you are you basically bailing out the shareholder class uh, and just trying to make the stock price go back up? Or do you also have protections in there? It's going to keep everybody on the payroll at those companies. Make sure they have health insurance through this downturn. Uh, and I would hope that Congress and uh, you know all the people in Washington learned that lesson from the last time around. Number one, you got to look out for the workers, the employees, uh, and the customers, and worry about shareholders after that. Uh, so Republicans hate giveouts except when they're the ones uh, stuck in an emergency. Then they want, then they favor them. Um, and the argument for uh, for for doing that is first of all, you can. Uh, put limits on who gets the checks. I mean, the IR- IRS, for example, knows your income for the prior year. So if your income for the prior year was above some threshold, I don't know what it would be. Let's say 200000 per household or 100000 You don't get anything or, or it's, you know it, it uh, graduates up or down. But, then, but you give more to people with lower incomes um, who are going to be the people who need it that goes straight to people. It doesn't get filtered through a company. It comes all at once. It do, it's not a few bucks per paycheck. Um, and it might do something to help confidence, you know, Oh, everybody gets a check. Suddenly everybody feels, well, at least somebody's doing something about this. Um, for me. And, it's, and it's also not filtered through a company. So, you know, when you cut payroll taxes, corp businesses pay half the payroll tax, so if you cut payroll taxes you would be cutting business taxes uh and uh individual taxes and i think you'd be opening yourself to criticism you know among people saying the business you know help the people first not the businesses the other thing is um if you just got laid off uh well you don't have a paycheck and therefore you're not going to benefit from a reduction in the tax on that paycheck because you're not getting that paycheck anymore uh, exactly. Well, we are in the throes of it right now, that is for
1: sure. And the jury is still out on how this administration is handling uh, this pandemic. We're really
0: not going to know until we come out the other side of it. But Rick, well, you and I'll I have be- one question for you before we go. Everybody yeah. wants to know, when is the stock market going to bottom? When is the time to buy? You think I have an answer? <laughs> You're covering <laughs> it every minute of every day. But we are
1: here every day, Monday to Friday, to try to work it out and talk to really smart people to help us figure it out. So, everybody, thank you so much for watching. Thanks for your patience and for joining us in this, like I said, this new normal that we're all dealing with. Be safe, be well, and be sure to follow me at Alexis TV News. And me
0: at Rick J. Newman.
1: Be well, everybody. See you next time.